Joining us in the funeral parlor today, we have Eric D. Fulmer, frontman of the underground gothic metal band Willow Wisp. He sits down to talk about 90s goth in Hollywood, and he does an acoustic version of Animals and the Creatures. Greetings, future corpses, and welcome to the gothic side of life, the one day of the week where I actually care about my appearance. Oh wait, you're goth. You're supposed to care every day. Psh, fuck that. Anyway, I'm your funeral guide, Glenn Lee Allen Davis. Now today I had a chance to sit down with frontman Eric Fulmer of Willow Wisp. He'll be performing a song for us and telling us all about goth in the 90s. So sit back in your coffins, relax, and enjoy. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Full disclosure, of course, you are my brother. Yeah. We did yep. play in Willow Wisp together at some point. Yep. Brothers with the same mother, different other, uh, yeah. father. <laughs> One of the things I want to talk about is, obviously, it's it's fair to say we both grew up trailer park trash. Is yes. that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And proud. <laughs> <laughs> we grew up in a small town called Atwater in California. Yeah. When I was around 10 years old, you started to play guitar. You've got your first guitar, I think it was, well, from me, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I met Tony you know, in high school. Uh-huh. He asked me to join his band. I lied to him and told him I play guitar, and I didn't have a guitar, so <laughs> ran home and, you know. <laughs> but I remember that uh, you had just seen Ozzy Osbourne yeah, in Fresno so at the Bark at the Moon. Yep. And I begged Grandma or Grandmother for a guitar for my birthday. And, of course, when I begged for something, my grandmother usually gave it yep. to me. Yep. I was yeah. uh, fortunate enough in that. Yep. <laughs> and But right soon after I got the guitar, I believe you tricked me and traded me a Bark at the Moon album because yeah. you said it was from the live show. Oh, yeah. uh, and so you said, hey, give me your guitar and I'll yeah. give you this album. It's uh, You got more <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> use out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, I believe, what was it? Within a week, you were already playing Mr. Crowley well, on the guitar. No, it was, that was a little bit like a little bit after. So when I first got the guitar, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I invite Tony over into the bedroom and I'm and I'm playing this. And Tony's like, Dude, that's Black Sabbath. I go, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> you know, but it's really, it's like, you know, later on we learn. That's how it's supposed to be. But I'm doing yeah. like this. You know, I'm just doing open strings. I don't know what to do with the far as the net goes. So it wasn't until like a little bit after that I met this guy, Rich Kamira, which was, he went to high school with. And it was in music class that we were sitting up in the top part of it. I remember the classroom being really big. And the teacher's teaching us green sleeves and everything. But me and Rich were in the back. And... And I'm still clueless of what to do on guitar, but what he did was he told me to play this. He's all, he's all, he's from Japan, so I, I'm going to attempt to do his accent. He's like, play this. And I, so I did. So I played, yeah, I didn't play it good, but I played it. Uh -huh. And when I did it, he was going like this. Which is Mr. Crowley. Yeah. So, and I was, and he told me to play that over while he was doing that. And I'm thinking, and I just had an epiphany. I was like, whoa, that sounds like music. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how you do it. And then he's like, he went on to tell me like, that's, that's a pentatonic scale. And that's how you play. If you're going to play a D minor chord, you're going to play it in that position. And, and that's how I kind of learned. I never took guitar lessons because grandma couldn't afford guitar lessons. Yeah. For. So Jimmy Tucker, you know, for our first bass player, uh -huh. you know, best friend and everything. 
um, he would go take guitar lessons. He would take bass lessons from Atwater Music, and he would come home and show me his lessons. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was, was piggybacking off yeah. his lessons. <laughs> so it was kind of... <laughs> yeah, secondhand lessons. <laughs> it, it was the early on Napster for uh, guitar yeah, lessons. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Downloading. Like <a> pirating. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pirating lessons. Yeah. That were the early stages. But, uh-huh. you know, when you... Obviously, growing up in a small town like that, you guys were always on the weird side following Black Sabbath. Yeah, I remember our heroes. More theatrical were, bands like Kiss and things like well, that. It was Wasp and, and Twisted Sister and mm-hmm. Motley Crue. That was what made us want. We wanted to look like like that. You know, I remember when you were taking our first band shot. Yeah. And we had the skull. You were called Black Mass. Black Mass. We got yeah, the dry so, eyes. Yeah, so and, we're trying to do everything like Blackie Lawless <laughs> and then we're doing it. Because <laughs> you were 15 and I was 10 years old yeah, at the 15. time. So yeah. one thing I want to talk about, I think everybody out there kind of struggles with is identity crisis coming from a small town. Mm-hmm. Obviously, glam was really big at that time, but you guys were kind of taking it a step further by being more theatrical makeup, yeah. getting dressed up. Now, how did that affect you guys as far as, like, being around, you know? Well, you know, we'd go to school. Like, Tony would go to school with his uh, sweats on with chains and makeup, and then I'd start, and I'd follow him. I'd copy everything he did. So, you know, I'd wear makeup to school, and we'd sit in class, and the teacher, we had this one teacher was really cool. She was always just like, oh, you guys look good today. But uh, all the other people were like, just totally making fun of us. <laughs> and a couple of rednecks would try to beat us up after after school. Like, you know, they followed us on their, like we were on our bike. I was on my bike and Tony was walking and these guys jumped out of their truck and started a fight with us. And, you know, that was in Atwater. I remember that guy, I can't remember his name, but I, was just, I could still see his face. He was such a freaking asshole. Man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was like the bully of all bullies and, you know, he scuffed us up pretty bad, but we still did what we did. And then you got to remember too, uh, Sweet Poison was, uh, the band of high school. Mm. In other words, we'd go see their shows at Winton Hall, and that's what also inspired us to really kind of do what we were doing because, like, no other band was doing what Sweet Poison was doing at yeah. the time. They were like the – they were like I, – I could I still call them – they were our local Motley Crue. In other yeah, words, that's what I was going to say. They were kind of like Motley Crue, yeah. Yeah, the, the best record. when I went to go see Ozzy for the first concert, which was my first concert, I went to Ozzy just because Motley Crue was supposed to play on, on that tour. Me and Mike Healy, we bought tickets to go see Motley Crue, Shout at the Devil. Yeah. But then Motley Crue canceled. And oh, we're like, is that what yeah, happened? Yeah, and then what happened was they put Slade on, and then we didn't even get to see Slade. We saw some band called Rough Cut, which had later on went to be bigger, you know. And, yeah. But we thought they were Slade at the time, and, yeah, that's how that happened. That's the reason why we even bought t- Aussie tickets was for Motley Crue, because that was the band right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, because I remember you even uh, stealing Grandma's clothes. To, yeah, to, pantyhose. To have different <laughs> uh, looks and, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. And, and that's kind of one of my biggest things with today's like goth scene and the people in the now is they seem to think that you need to be some kind of fashion designer in order to be gothic. Yeah. But it's like when we were young, they didn't have any no. special clothes or anything like that. You yeah. kind of just had to make it yourself. It just seems like, I don't know. It seems like to me, like this was later on, we're talking like when the hot mm. topic came into the picture, like just that it made goth like fashionable in a sense where it's like, we were already doing it. Yeah. <laughs> like we're doing it, it, with it the, started to go downhill had, from you know there. Mean? Our look was like we were basing our look off. Like, and okay, the funny thing too is like later on when I get into goth music, I didn't know nothing about goth when it, when I was in high school. Like, even though like bands like you find out later on that bands like Christian Death and it was around in '83 that first album came out. Yeah. '83. Well, '83 I was listening to Hollow Notes and Journey. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, where the hell? How the hell did I miss this? You yeah, know? yeah. Because they know. weren't in our record yeah, store, not in some in little water, shit hole. Not in LA. So, so yeah, and, and I kick myself sometimes for not being able to discover that music earlier you know but but clearly you had already established yourself as 
somebody who wanted to be different, yeah, who wanted I mean, to stand out from just the normal yeah, people we, in a our, small, shitty town. When me and Tony first thought of the band, we said, okay, we want to have cool music, because we were tired of seeing bands that had a cool look, but shitty music, and then if they had shitty, or really good music, they looked like crap. Yeah. So we wanted to be a band that looked really cool and had intricate, uh, progressive style of music, you know, like... The, and try to mix all kinds yeah, of styles yeah, all and different everything styles, like that. Because we all had different, you know, styles and... So let's uh, let's um, fast forward here for a bit. Uh, obviously, you go through many changes in Atwater, you and Tony, mm-hmm. and then you get the notion when you're a little bit older to say, "Okay, we need to get out of this shithole." Yeah, let's go to Hollywood. Let's and, go to Hollywood. And that was around what year was that? So we went first time we went was '89. Okay, and we had about a couple hundred bucks on us. You know, we packed up the car. We were living at Aaron's house at the time. Aaron, our, mm-hmm. guitar, our guitar player at the time. I think George Keller, yeah, George Keller was with us at that time, the crazy George. Yeah, <laughs> I remember him. Yeah, he's a character, man. Uh, got some stories about him. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so we get there, and we're just like, wow, it's Hollywood. We're going to all the record stores. Tony's blowing all of his money on freaking shirts and CDs. <laughs> I'm blowing some money. Next thing you know, and then we... Uh, and you guys are supposed to be living there, right? Yeah, right. You're so, just, it's like well, vacation. Yeah. Well, what happened, we, so we go there, and someone tells us to get on welfare, get on general relief, and, and so we did, and we got the food stamps. And then there's this place called the Hollywood Billiards, which is a legendary rehearsal place for all the bands. Uh-huh. So we find that place, and it's in the shithole part of Hollywood, Western and in, in, in Hollywood Boulevard. I guess Concrete Blonde practice there, Purple Floyd, all these bands. We get there, and there's like all crackheads and stuff walking around, <laughs> yeah. right? We put our equipment in there. So the manager, she was really cool. We didn't have any money, so she let us pay rent with food stamps. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And that's what we did. And so we spent a few nights there, and then, okay, so here's the thing. George Kaler... Before we went there, we hit, we did a goodbye show. We, we played in the Merced Alano Club, mm-hmm. and it was like our goodbye to Atwater, you know, yeah. our last show. We're and the we, fuck out of here. Yeah, and, and we were just, we, we had just gotten heavily into The Cure at that time. You know, George Kaler was really into it, because he, he listened to Disintegration over and over and over, and it got me yeah. into it and everything. He broke up with some chick or whatever, and that's how I discovered The Cure was through him, right? Uh-huh. And so... George Kaler got on this kick where he wanted to be Robert Smith. He, he uh-huh. did his hair like him. And he, he's like, it's jock dude. It just turned into Robert Smith. <laughs> right? Overnight, yeah. Yeah, he looked like Tom Cruise, but cool. then he turned into... I mean, at least he had the balls yeah. to do it. Uh, yeah. A lot of people and, think that and, and he, never And he just it. couldn't sing. Even though Robert Smith wasn't a great singer, but he just couldn't sing. But we still let him do a song with us on that show. We played a... I forgot what Cure song we did, but it was a... Oh, yeah, I think we did Boys Don't Cry. And we... And uh-huh. we uh, uh, George sing it with us. Very easy song. To yeah, sing, right. So. And he's up there. He's doing his goth thing, you know, looking all of this and that. So I guess so. Then fast forward, we moved to Hollywood. We're in the billiards, and me and Tony were talking about getting a new lead singer. We said, "What are we gonna do about a lead singer?" Because I wasn't yeah. gonna be the lead singer. Tony wanted to be the lead singer, even uh-huh. though we were singing already. And then George, I think he heard us say, because I think George had it in his mind that he was gonna be our singer. Oh, okay. Because he played, yeah, yeah. Right? Delusions of grandeur. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then the next day, he wakes up and he says, "Oh, I gotta go back in Outwater. My mom's sick. Blah blah blah. You guys have to go with me." So, and, but we'll be back, you know, so we pack up, but we still leave our equipment there, uh-huh. come back to Outwater, and we stay for about, and then all of a sudden we get here, and then George disappears, we don't know where he's at, so uh-huh. Grandma gives us our, that van, Okay, and, and that's when we went back, and when we went back, we went back just in time, we pulled up to the billiards, and we're talking about three or four months later, right, we pulled uh-huh. up to the billiards, and that chick already had our equipment out on the sidewalk. Like she was gonna pop, pop it off and everything because we weren't there to pay rent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we showed up just in time. We're like, "What the hell?" Like, <laughs> oh man, yeah. I'm surprised she didn't just keep it and steal yeah, it. Yeah, like you she know? had Tony's drum set, like with the big Randall app that we had forever. Uh-huh. That, was, that like Tony still has that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, at what point when you get to Hollywood, was it the first time or the second time? Do you feel like okay, I'm in the right place? These people are freaks. The, yeah. the, that you know, you find the new scene. 
at what point do you find the gothic scene and do you go, okay, okay. this it, it, kind of an evolution type of thing? So, so after we go back to the second time, we're, we're out away from the billiards and we just continue to live in our car at some point, right? Yeah. On Western and just taking bird baths. We were homeless. You know, we because <laughs> we were the kind of band, like, you know, most bands, you go to Hollywood, it's like, you're going to live with some rich girls and they're going to pay for everything. But yeah. we were just too shy. We just weren't into that. So we just <laughs> stayed in our car. And if we met girls, they would just come and hang out with us at the car, but they would stay like 10 feet away because <laughs> yeah. it smelled really bad. So then uh, what happened was one night we were going to the Sunset Strip to, to promote. We were all glammed out, you know, and this was before we did the black lipstick and the gothic oh. look or whatever. Uh, Aaron's with us and these guys jump out of their truck on Holly Boulevard because they, they call us faggots or whatever. Yeah. You know, Tony, he can't, you know, yeah, he, he can't stand it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he says something back, they pull around and they, they jump out and it's just a big old street brawl. Like, and they're just kicking the shit out of Aaron's ribs and stuff. And oh, man. yeah. And, and then someone yelled cops and they, they all took off and everything. So then we get back to the car and Aaron's was really like in bad shape. So he calls his mom. And so he went home after that time. So then it was about a month and a half of just me and Tony in the car. You know, yeah. Just wondering what are we going to do about a bass player? What are we going to do about this or that? So one night we go to the Sunset Strip. It's just me and him. We're parked at that across the street from the whiskey. It's whatever that place was called, a gift shop or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I see a flyer blended up to midnight on the ground. And I'm thinking, who the hell is that? And, you know, this guy's uh -huh. like fucking badass. Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so me and Tony put on makeup and I go and I'm putting on my black lipstick just like a, I guess, you know, later on in front uh -huh. of Sean Brandon. Well, it so wasn't it, black lipstick. You had to use eyeliner, right? Yeah, it's eyeliner. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cause it just kind of blended in. Yeah, blended Because there was really no, again, no black lipstick no, yeah, at that. Was, yeah, we just use yeah that's, that's right. We use eyeliner. And, uh, and then Tony's like, dude, that looks fucking badass. Yeah. And I was like, and I wanted to find this band. I wanted to find their, like, their album or whatever it was. I wanted to know more about them. Mm -hmm. and, and when I heard, when I finally got my hands on that demo on Hollywood Boulevard somewhere, because this was store. still in their early stages, yeah, they, they, were, just, they just put out that four song demo with Sacrifice on it, and they still mm -hmm. had that original bass player that wrote that song, and they had a bunch of legal stuff to go on with that. But to me, I, to this day, I still think that's one of the greatest written songs mm -hmm. ever. That that should have been a big hit. It should have been that that song should have took them like you know beyond whatever. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, it's such a well written song, and and I you know I've always wanted to cover it possibly, and you know just do different versions of it, but. Uh, it's it's definitely a milestone yeah. to uh, uh, discover a band like that. Yeah. Uh, London After Midnight, wonderful band. We yeah. played with them a couple of times, uh -huh. if I remember correctly. Yeah, and, a little uh, bit boring live, but yeah, yeah. as far as the look goes and as far as who mm -hmm. they are, yeah, yeah. It's like, then, yeah, then, then after you, you know, discover that band, then you just start kind of learning more about the Gothic culture. You start, and I, and I kind of already knew about Gothic before we moved to L.A. because I we had hung out with. Uh, my ex-girlfriend's friend, uh, Tony's ex-girlfriend as well, uh -huh. we'd always go to Lions, and there was these two gothic chicks, and they would always, like, you know, cause this was, you know, we'd gotten into The Cure, but I didn't really associate The Cure as gothic. Uh -huh. you know, I didn't know what, I just thought, okay, this is a cool band. They'd always have the black lipstick on and the lace and everything uh -huh. and the goth scene, and, and I was still kind of a metalhead, like, in the sense of, like, oh, that's uh -huh. kind of weird. I don't understand that, you know. like <laughs> Now, were those the uh, the two girls? Were those the ones that ended up being Switchblade Symphony, or no? We met, we met her at. Uh, was, we met that chick at the weirdest place. It was a, one of those thrash festivals. We had played it too at the fairground uh -huh. in Merced. The chick from Switchblade Symphony was in the bleachers, and she just started talking to me and Tony. And I guess she was there to see a friend or something. But uh -huh. and this was before we knew that. She, well, she told us she was about. She told us that her band was Switchblade Symphony, but I don't think yeah, they were nobody. Famous. Yeah, I don't think they were even famous point. at the time. Yeah. <laughs> And that was before we had moved to L.A. and everything. That was around that same time. Oh, okay. So that was long before yeah. that. Because yeah. I remember going back many years later, and we were hanging out with them. Yeah, and then we met them Tony in Hollywood. And, and we're, like, we, best friends or yeah, something. Yeah, because she like, remembered <laughs> us. She's like, oh, I remember you guys in Merced. Yeah. We yeah. Were, <laughs> I guess she had family there, too, and that's the reason why she was there. <laughs> so out of that period between, like, the Hollywood around, let's say, 
89 to like 92 yeah. is when I came and joined the band. Yeah. Between that time, who then is your biggest influence so. to uh, kind of turn not only musically, but physically, the look and everything yeah. else? So I was still heavily into The Cure. Robert Smith, I was like, knew everything about him. Like, I, I felt like I had embodied his spirit for some. Like, when I would write a riff or something, I felt like it was. Even though Robert Smith's alive, yeah, <laughs> so felt like he was like, yeah, he's in my he's in my blood or something because I would write these because it was him that taught me about like you know before you're you're into Malmsteen and, and Steve Vai and Joe Cetrani and all these like guitar hero guys or whatever, yeah, and the music's great, but it's like there's really not a whole lot of emotion there well, except for Steve there's no Vai. layers, it's yeah, there's, there's no, no like yeah. sub substance. So when I first heard the Cure, like when I first Kiss Me Kiss Me Kiss Me album and uh, and that song that just went on and on, it was just one riff that just kept going on and on. I can't remember what song. Mm -hmm going on and on and on for about five or ten minutes, but he's just layering all these different melodies and it's builded up. And, and yeah. And it's just it's like a me, journey. Yeah. And it taught me like, wow, okay, that's, you don't need to do a lot of technical stuff to write a really powerful, beautiful, and emotional song. Mm -hmm. And then when you know, obviously disintegration came out and it's like, I still to this day will say that's like one of the greatest albums of all time ever recorded. Like you could put that album on any time. To me, it was just it was just good music, and as whether it's dark or gothic, like you know, you got bands like Cinema Strange and all those bands that came out afterwards, or like what was that one band that we were into? They started with an E, but they were just they had just a bunch of demos, but their music was very goth and just uh -huh. all keyboardy, and and but then you listen to Depeche Mode and you listen to a lot of that stuff. And when I was you know mm -hmm. in the eighties, you think of Depeche Mode as all the preppies like that band, you know, yeah. But then later on, you're like, wow, this is gothic. You yeah, know, yeah, split. that's you, that's what I always and like. his voice even kind of reminds me of Sean Brennan's a lot of, of Lonely After Men. I'm kind of wondering was he maybe influenced by Depeche Mode, and it sounds like he is, you know. Cause yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and even I find myself sometimes trying to sing like the Dave Gahan style. <laughs> well, that's what I thought was funny. When I was in high school, I think uh, when I was about to graduate and I had already planned to move with you guys to join the band, Yeah. and I was learning music and I was kind of getting into the scene, and I remember this kid, like a soccer player kid, just like a normal sports kid, said, oh, check out, you know, because he knew I was into alternative music, I guess is what you would call it at the yeah, time. Yeah. And he showed me, oh, you want to check out my tape collection? And I remember he had it hidden. Like, he didn't want, like, I guess Depeche Mode was, I guess, associated with being gay, I guess, you know, because yeah, yeah, uh, I didn't know that, you know. at that time it was very, maybe mm -hmm. the guy was gay too, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, so he was a very nice guy, but, yeah. but it was weird that he had, that section, they were all Depeche Mode tapes, uh -huh. <laughs> and it was hidden in his sock drawer, yeah. like away from all of his other collection. He was in it, but he showed it to me as if yeah. I was going to, you know, which was yeah. cool. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. And I don't think I'd even heard of Depeche Mode other than like, uh, you know, what was on MTV. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know they had that many tapes out at the time. And I was like, oh, cool. Then yeah. we started listening well, to like it. Like that one song, like I never liked him when they had that, that, that era when they were like, I just can't get enough. Uh -huh. I just can't. Get I didn't really like, but when they got into that more darker kind of just melodic stuff, I can't mm -hmm. remember what album. Maybe it was the Violator or whatever it was called, but um, even gay like bands that are considered gay, like Erasure. I, yeah. I found myself listening to them and Pet Shop Boys, and I'm thinking, damn, you know, gay people can actually write some damn good melodies. You know? <laughs> <laughs> thinking, and I started there was a little bit of time there. Where I was thinking maybe I'm gay, maybe I should be gay. You know, you know? <laughs> because you can write good music. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like maybe that's what it is. That, that's know? my inspiration. But now right I'm there. like now I hear a bunch of bands from Sweden and all those guys are really great songwriters. I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, melodies and stuff. I'm big on melody. It's got to have a like even. When me and Tony would write songs, and he'd have this little, he, he, I want it to be weird. I want it to be like odd and, and original. I go, yeah, we could do that, but I got to have that little melody in there. I got to put in some mm -hmm. kind of little hook or whatever. And, and that's where you sometimes, if you hear over a lot of our old music, it'll have that fast blast black metal sound. Uh -huh. and then it breaks into like a melodic type of melody or something, that, which is. Yeah, because, there, well, there was definitely an evolution between like, let's say, 89, 90s 
until when you get into the 2000s. Yeah. It definitely progressed into something more heavy with Will-O-Wisp. Yeah. That's where, like, you know, because like, Tony started getting into, like, Deicide and Morbid Angel. Mm-hmm. And I started, and I liked it, too. But, see, me, like, when I discovered, like, that stuff of extreme metal was when I, you know, when Paul Merrill, we met Paul in, in high school. Uh-huh. And go to his house and see his record collection. He turns me on, you know, like, I'm wearing now Bathory, which is to the, today one of my favorite, all-time favorite albums, the first mm-hmm. Bathory album. And Celtic Frost and all these bands from England and, and mm-hmm. I guess, Norway, too. I guess he had Mayhem's demos at the time. And, and it to me, it was, like, kind of... What I aspired to and what really made me look up to you guys was mm. the fact that you were trying not just like Kiss or something like that or, yeah. or trying to look different. You guys were always trying to incorporate yeah. different music, whether it was black metal style or mm-hmm. gothic or country. Yeah, yeah. When I first, uh, let's go into then 1992, I come into the band yeah. and I start playing bass yeah. for you guys because... I somehow coaxed you into... Come on, Glenn. You get a lot of girls. And lot of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coach, I was like, shit, it's free rent, yeah, and I could be rent. in Hollywood. We need a bass player. No. <laughs> yeah, because we were going through, like, bass players like crazy. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, it was hard to find somebody yeah. to kind of match up with that. Because if I remember correctly, people thought that you guys were too heavy. Yeah. Um, I always say we were too heavy for the goths and too gothic for the heavy. Yeah. <laughs> for and the metal it, crowd. So we ended up playing with the glam crowd because yeah, yeah. they were more open-minded to everything. Yeah. They didn't care. They were just like, hey, as long as you want to play and have a good time. Yeah. Well, because I looked at it like this. I said, you know what? Let's just play with whoever. We'll play last if we have to play last. And there's mm-hmm. going to be three people in the audience. But we'll play to th- those three people. We'll perform the same way we would, we would perform if we were playing to 100 people or 500 people. Because if you impress three people, I guarantee two of those people are going to tell their friends. And they're going to bring six next time. And then those six are going to turn into 20. And, and it's just building an army. Yeah, know. some people get discouraged. Like, I don't want to play. Or like they are boring on stage. It's like, no, you got to put on that show, man. You got to. Yeah, you yeah. Gotta, you got to pretend you're singing in your mirror, you know. But you got to put in put in the effort, yeah, you know, yeah. to, and, to and make it work. Even if there's one person there, because that's who you're playing to, that one person. <laughs> because I remember when I joined and I, I I started playing with you guys, you know, we didn't really have could afford a practice space, so no. we would practice in the apartment. Yeah. On Tony would play drums on books, yeah, and then we would play without the amps because we couldn't, yeah. you know. Uh, now, were make you with us noises. when we were practicing at the same apartments on Yucca and? But, I, but when I, the manager let us practice in that little storage yeah, area. Yeah, yeah, okay. underneath inside yeah. the basement. That was really cool. Yeah. Like, didn't we set off, like, we took a photo shoot, we set off fireworks yeah. uh-huh. and almost set the whole place <laughs> yeah. on fire. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. that was the time, and I still remember this, is that's when I discovered, like, you were talking about, like, other bands I got influenced by in the 90s or 92 or whatever, maybe it was, or whatever year that you came. Yeah. But it might have been before that, is when London Suede came out, when I saw okay. that, the Animal Nitrate video and that singer, just the way he sang and his energy and stuff, and mm-hmm. I... I wanted to be that guy, you know. So we're at rehearsal, and and I wasn't even singing it at the time, but I was singing some songs, but I just wasn't singing well. Yeah. But I tried to sing like him, mm-hmm. and it, it just like this power came over me. Like I was like, "Holy cow!" You know, even though I probably didn't sound as good as him, but that's where I was going with my yeah, voice. Yeah, you found your kind of yeah. voice and, and yeah. found your way. I'm thinking this is where I'm going to go with my voice, and, and that's one thing that for me, I always knew being your little brother, I always yeah. knew that you were a good guitar player. And I always looked up to you and I always mm-hmm. thought, oh man, he's so good. But there was this time when we were, we were, were going to record our first demo. I just moved there oh, yeah. and we recorded with a friend of mine, uh, Richard. He had a, an eight track recorder and he came to Hollywood with us and he started playing music mm-hmm. or he, he started recording our album. He did the drums, but then he had to go back to Pismo Beach where I lived and you and I, Mm-hmm. had to drive back there yeah. and we 
had to basically live in the car for a week while we recorded the 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 guitars and the bass. Oh yeah, yeah. One of my favorite solos from you uh-huh. was on the morning. Still to this day, it gives me chills. But I remember. What really got me is that Richard had a wall pedal there. Oh, yeah. Okay. And you had never used a wall before. Yeah. And you're like, okay, you know what? Let me try doing the solo uh-huh. with the wall. I never, I'll see what happens. Yeah. And it just blew me away sitting uh-huh. there watching you record it. Let's listen to a little bit of that. I think it was right there that I was just like yeah. blown away. And like, even to this day, when That's I hear that. That's my first time hearing that, like probably 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it thinking. was a long time yeah, you ago. Know where I, you know where I hear that now? Where? I, I hear where I got that solo. Like, so before we moved to Hollywood too, we got really, I got really into Prince. Me and Aaron, you know, old guitar player, we watched Purple Rain over and over and over. We, watched, <laughs> we must have watched that movie every single day for about like a month or so. And I learned that guitar solo, like the, uh-huh. the Prince. And I still, since they love playing it on, on the guitar and uh and I think where it came out in there, if you notice when it yeah. stops, and then that, that was, yeah, that, that was, was that, but and then all those little melodies. That's your that's my Robert Smith coming out of me mm-hmm. and, and all that. But the know. fact <laughs> that you hit the with the wall pedal, yeah. never using it before, just guessing my way, and through. yeah, and it it just came out perfect. It was one of those moments where yeah. you go, "Holy shit, this is this is yeah. perfect." And anybody who hears that today and doesn't get goosebumps, man, yeah. they just don't have a heart. I mean, yeah. it's just you, yeah, I got you know. goosebumps hearing it for the first time in like a long time. Yeah, so that's what I've always done. Yeah, emotional. And I and I, I contributed to that's what I've always done. That's to this day, like if I do a guitar solo or whatever, I always just improvise, you know, because I'm hearing in my head already where I want to go a split second before I play the note, and I'm kind of seeing a pattern in my head, and so I'm able to just and I already know like my neck, I know all my notes, so mm-hmm. I just improvise, and that's why like if you're if you listen to our old stuff and then you hear my stuff live, you're never gonna hear me play the same guitar solo, you know. And yeah, it's always gonna be some similar parts. But I just got I just can't do that. Like to me, it's and that's heavily rooted in like a a, a blues, yeah, uh, up you know because obviously improvisation, yeah. jazz. That came because I used to practice to Stevie Ray Vaughan's tapes. Also, I'd put on uh-huh. his tapes and just practice that. Pen- when I learned that pentatonic skill, I would learn how to play it in a key, and I would just whatever he was doing on guitar, I would block it out and just do my own thing and just improvise my own thing. And <laughs> this, and it's just uh, that 
that kind of beginningness when we recorded our first demo. You guys had always had the song. It was called Animals and the Creatures. Oh, yeah. And I think that was the pinnacle of the gothic. Yeah, that was when it got of, really dark. And really yeah, that was like Will-O-Wisp at its yeah. most goth, I, yeah. I, I, I yeah. guess you could say. I, should, I still wish we would have put that on the, the first CD with you know Phil Lewis. Yeah, that, that because we, we put it on the demo before that, yeah, and we thought that demo was so popular, they <laughs> like sold to like two like, people. Yeah, <laughs> later on you find a lot of bands do that. They re-record the songs from their albums. But this <laughs> song, Animals and the creatures you know it's just an, an amazing gothic song if nobody's heard it uh, let's take a little listen to that Sean Brennan influence. In yeah, that. that's what I was going to say. That's that's definitely... I wanted to be a dark line out to midnight. And yeah. I think even with having that song, at some point, he even came to see one of our shows. I don't yeah. know if you remember that. It was at the Thai Ice Cafe. Yeah, yeah, I remember that, yeah. And I remember I re- he was... Wasn't he being kind of stuck up that... that yeah, thing? I remember he was... He walked in. He was in wearing high heels. Yeah. He's a super tall guy. A girl on each arm yeah. walked in kind of like royalty, uh-huh. goth royalty into the show, which I thought was cool. But uh, yeah. we were obviously too shy to talk to him. Yeah. And I went up to him and I said, oh, how'd you like the show? And he's like, oh, you guys are really good. And uh, he said, I came out to see you. And I was thinking in my head, yeah, right. You, yeah. you probably just happened well, to we, stumble upon us. The, but When it's funny, you said I've, I've known a girl that knew him really well. She said yeah. that he's known for lying. Like, that's, really, what, that, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like right <laughs> after that, my ego started to go, hey, he came yeah. to see he us. Like and then, it, then you tell me, the girl says, oh, he lies all the time. Don't yeah, believe him. Was so I was like, oh. <laughs> we used to see him all the time at the post office. Yeah, was, yeah. I remember that. We smell our packages and he'd be all good. He'd always have like a hit like a metal shirt on or something. Yeah, you would always uh, remind me of that. Hey, there's Sean Brennan. Yeah. <laughs> and he'd have like his blonde hair. He looked like yeah. a total glam guy yeah, without like any total, makeup yeah. on. And uh, it's funny because he had a glam band before Lunch of Midnight. It was, it was uh-huh. called something Roses, but I can't remember what they were called. But I mean, obviously I everybody had something in that yeah. direction. And then, you know, whether you decide to go into the darker yeah. realm is is up to them. And now he's all political. Yeah. I was trying to get him a friend on Facebook, but he's like, it's too many. Fr- he got the 5,000 limit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I even messaged him. I go, dude, can you just kick somebody off so I can like respond to your posts? <laughs> we're, we're still not good enough for him <laughs> I know, right? after 30 years. No, you're not Willow Wisp, dude. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fuck you guys. Guys, man. I remember there were a lot of really cool underground goth bands that we used to listen to. We used to get the demos all the yeah. time. You yeah, know, I can't remember any of them. I don't mean either. There's the one like, I want to remember. There was a band I really liked a lot. Of, like when I to say start with an uh-huh. E, but I just can't think of their name. But I, I even knew the singer really well, and I was a really big fan of their music. And I uh, just can't think of their name though. I think it's the influence of bands like that. And obviously other bands like Bauhaus and yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really got into Bauhaus too later on. Like even though like I was 
my ex-girlfriend at the time before we moved to Hollywood was trying to get me into Bauhaus because she and I was just thinking, oh, that's stupid music, you know, because <laughs> I was into like I was in my metalhead phase yeah. or whatever, you know. And at the time, so I discovered that band Dead End from Japan. That's another big influence of mine, uh-huh. and to this day, when you look at that first video that came out in like 1988, that singer he was goth before like any of them. Like uh-huh. I mean, he had the, the the hair, the the dark makeup, and the lace and everything, and mm-hmm. and even the music was kind of gothic. It was more gothic than it was metal. Uh-huh. Like at the time, I don't think it was gothic. I'm thinking it's just a great metal sound. More of like probably like a horror yeah. sense. Yeah, I think, real like dark, a horror you know. Movie. Like, yeah. And but even then, there weren't that many horror movies like that yeah. back, uh, I was just thinking, oh, this back in great. the 80s. I, I tried to emulate him a lot. I always tried to emulate these people. <laughs> yeah, or rip them off. Yeah, rip them said. off no. pretty much. <laughs> just kidding. But that's mine. I think we have a real treat here. Uh, Eric is going to play live in the funeral parlor. He is yes. going to play the animals and the creatures this is the classic from way basic all right <laughs> my own uh, another rendition of it i guess uh, okay Cus- never done it on a cusick before but made that up on the spot (laughs) (laughs) as will-o'-wisp started to progress into the gothic scene into the glam the metal scene playing more and more we started to build up a following 
I think one of our best albums is the building up and breaking down a matter. I think yeah. if, if anything were to encompass There's certain parts of it, I wish we could have went back and remixed or redid. Well, uh, sound wise, but I think yeah. songwriting wise, yeah, like, songs, um, like really good songs. Yeah. One of my favorite songs is called the utmost just cause it's such a beautiful yeah. dark song. And we also got into more, uh, we, we had a really good mix of, Black metal, death metal. It, it seemed more natural, yeah. the mix of the music. Because we had Sodomized by God on there, right? Yeah, Sodomized by God. Yeah, so that's when we were kind of getting... Death metal. Yeah, that was definitely the deicide influence that Tony was bringing mm -hmm. to the band. It took me a while to get into that music. Cause like, even, like, it was funny because at the time, when Tony was really into glam music, like Poison and all those bands, uh -huh. I wasn't into that. I was into like whatever I was into. And then, out, then Tony's getting into like deicide and stuff like that. I don't know, into that. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm still yeah. Playing whatever, you know. <laughs> but I think with... Because uh, we did covers, man. Remember, we did covers, and we'd do, like, we'd go in from a Poison song into a Slayer song into a uh -huh. Bathory song, and then back into a Britney Fox. Metallica, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, remember Britney Fox? I yeah. Like, we playing Britney Fox for? <laughs> <laughs> so we did Lita Ford, too. Fuck. Oh, yeah. One thing I one thing I didn't like about the metal scene is yeah. that it was just so repetitive. It's kind of like country music, where yeah. some of it is really good, yeah. and it takes you on a journey, but a lot of it is just a repetitive Yeah heavy riff it was more of a mood type thing where you get into that yeah but definitely this song right here the utmost i think it's it's That's one just, of the more beautiful songs this is when i would when i talk about go back and remixing this is a, a song i wish i could just go back and re-sing it <laughs> yeah you yeah because i sound like i'm like sound like a bunch of drunk guys singing it you know well it, we, Which we I was probably drunk <laughs> i think we did an experimental mix yeah. of trying different it's stuff different, yeah one of the things that annoyed me producing it when you wore all those bracelets oh, and yeah. you were doing the acoustic yeah. uh, version, I was like, where the fuck is that sound coming <laughs> yeah. from? And then I realized it was your bracelets. And then, uh, but once it, we put it in the final mix, it ended up sounding really yeah, cool. That's what I said. Most things sound cool like that. that song that's where you and tony the drummer mm -hmm. with his lyrical because he wrote yeah. all the lyrics yeah, for the songs uh he really started to get into some dark poetry mm -hmm. the mix just came out really well yeah. of the music and the words that went along with it yeah i really wanted to make that song happen when i first wrote that keyboard line that you know that you know, like, but yeah like guitar but yeah and it's like this song has to come come alive, you know, and and uh, and it did. I just wish I could have sang it better. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> but, you uh, work with what you got. I and think you I sang it good. It was just what happened. I think when those other voices are on there, so yeah, like, there's one voice that's actually sounding like it's sounding good, but I, mm -hmm. I, we just made a bad judgment a call of keeping all those voices in it. Like, and you know, again, I was high and drunk at the time. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're also at the same time developing this very eclectic stage show. Yeah. Where you personally 
start doing strange stuff on stage before a lot of people were doing it other yeah. than like maybe, you know, Alice Cooper and things like yeah. that, where you were shave your chest on yeah. stage. Uh, the chest cutting thing did start before that album. So okay. It just, cause I remember the first time we ever did it was when we played one of our very first gigs at the red light district. It was a night where all the, they had a bunch of different bands in one night and each band only had 15 minutes to go to, to play, to do their set. And at that time it was just me and Tony. It was a two uh -huh. man, two man band. And Tony had his garbage can thing he was already doing. And then I was like, well, I need a, something, an attic. And I had wa had just watched The Wall, you know, Pink uh -huh. Floyd, The Wall. And um, I was really inspired by the scene where he cut his boobs off. And I was like, you know what? That'd be kind of cool to do that on stage, just kind of pay tribute to that scene because it really had an effect on me. And so I did the shaving cream, and, and, I, and, I, and, I'm, and I and I can still see it in my head. I'm just thrashing around, and I'm cutting myself, you know. And I'm trying to make it look like I'm cutting my boob off. Yeah, you know, like, but you really didn't want to cut the nipple yeah, off. Yeah, though. yeah, I didn't really <laughs> want it, but I just wanted to emulate that thing. And then after the whole show's done, and everyone's like, you know, it was maybe I don't forget how many people in the crowd. Maybe it's been 20 people. It was definitely a pretty good night, I remember that night, because it was all different bands. But Tony's like, dude, you got to do that every time, man. Yeah. I said, that was cool, man. They're like, oh, shit. Because I didn't even tell Tony I was going to be doing that. He didn't yeah. know I was going to be doing it. I go, yeah, I'm going to be doing something on stage. I'm not going to tell you about it, you know. And that's what I did. And then he, like, tripped out when he saw it. Uh -huh. <laughs> so then, that's how it became, like, a thing. And then, yeah. Then, uh, and then later on, we did the octopus. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, uh, one of the cool things is uh, you were always coming up with these cool ideas. You grabbed an octopus, a, a dead octopus, obviously, yeah. from the supermarket. And... Uh, Tied it onto a cross. Yeah. <laughs> you would tie it onto a cross and basically crucify an yeah. octopus. Yeah. And I think one of the best parts was is you actually made one of our fans kiss it for oh, a yeah. free t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the uh coconut teaser. Yeah. I remember that very, yeah. very vividly. I remember we had one fan that because she kept it in her freezer the whole time, so we called her Squid Girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was cool. Yeah. And then we used to uh back as a promotion. We used to take a squid and put it in a jar yeah. and send it to radio stations yep. and record companies to try to get them to listen to our demo. Yeah. And they would basically get this yeah. jar with a deteriorated <laughs> squid I inside a, of it. I have a Facebook friend who, like, years later, like, she remembered me, and she's like, yeah, you, she worked at Rock City News. And so, yeah, I was the one that got that, that octopus in the <laughs> jar from you guys. And, <laughs> so I remember our whole office was tripping out. <laughs> I don't know if people actually opened it and probably yeah. was like, holy shit, yeah. it smells. And, right. <laughs> but then there was something really cool. But that's all Tony. Tony always thought of that. He's like, we got to think of something when we send packages away. We uh -huh. got to be outrageous as crazy. <laughs> you're just going to get us, like, not signed. Yeah, you're just going to piss people. People off some executive yeah. to get shit all over yeah. a razor blade to cut their hand and yeah. stuff but, but then like uh something really cool that you did was during halloween time and you took this huge pumpkin oh, you yeah, hollowed it out you cut the bottom out and put it on your head and then you put I the lined top it with, yeah i lined it with plastic i remember i, think I was trying to think in my head I, i'm not an engineer but i engineered something really cool at that time yeah <laughs> and then you put worms all in the top yeah. of it and then you put the top back on and then while you were wearing it, you took it off on stage and you pulled the worms out and yeah. then threw it into the audience. Yeah. And everybody in the front row was was yeah. really like tripping yeah, That was out, inspired so. by the Sandman, you know, really into yeah. the Sandman comics. So that, and you know, the one character, I forgot, the, he's the groundskeeper guy with the pumpkin head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I can't remember his name, but uh, that stage Anik was inspired by that. And that's another thing, too, is, uh, is what influences kind of like the gothic community and, and things like that is the... the Imagery of like the crow, yeah, the, Sandman. yeah. When the crow came out, that's what really like inspired me. Like I was like, whoa, you know, like uh, it kind of made a statement branded. with yeah. the music. <laughs> so that way, uh, I think people don't understand today is they kind of think goth is more of a fashion. Yeah, it turned since rather than it, it actually started with music and then it just developed into the fashion. Because even like the crow, today. like if you look at the story of the crow, like 
what's his name, Eric, whatever. Yeah. Like, he wasn't trying to be gothic. He, that was just his band that he had, and, and that was just, like, that, that was just the imagery. Like, you know, J.L. Barr, like, the guy that wrote The Crow. And, uh-huh. I mean, he's far from a gothic dude. I mean. Yeah, <laughs> it just, but, but, but obviously that's associated but, with being yeah, death. Like, and, and, well, it's uh, like punk. You know, like, a lot of people think punk's about the the clothes that you wear or the music. No, mm-hmm. it's about the attitude. It's about the, the attitude that you have. And that's the thing with goth. It's about your attitude and who you mm-hmm. are on the inside it has nothing to do with what you look like. I mean, because, yeah. Cause I mean, there, there's just something peaceful yeah. about like walking through a cemetery and admiring death and appreciating your own life mm-hmm. through that death, which yeah. is one of the things that really brought Tony, one of his best lyrical songs, which mm-hmm. is, within the solitude of cemetery soil yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh the next clip i'm going to play i mean if you listen to the lyrics on this thing yeah, that's one of my favorite songs too like, yeah it's just like if i think he wrote the music for that even but i did all mostly the arrangements and came okay. up with the melody and stuff so i remember yeah there's no other way to describe walking through a graveyard than yeah. listening to this song yeah Even like mm-hmm. right there, I want to sing along with yeah, that, but I didn't that, want to ruin it. <laughs> no, I think about it, that song right there, and, and I still contribute to this day, is that that's the song that really made me want to be the vocalist. That was where I found my voice to be like the kind of vocalist I wanted to be. Uh-huh. Like, you know, and, and have us, because even though it, in a lot of people would compare, like, oh, you sound like Peter Murphy. It's like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, but I love Peter Murphy. And of course, it's going to come out of there, but to be able to like get that that in the studio and like, yeah, you know. and it, and I think at that point it's it's even starting to progress into a heavier sound, yeah. and that's like a perfect mix of of slow goth, yeah. with kind of like the heavy. That was a perfect mold yeah. of both of mm-hmm. those genres, yeah. as opposed to just doing one and then doing yeah. the other. Yeah, because when Tony first brought the music to that to practice, he brought the the main riffs, whatever. Uh-huh. It was just naked sounding. It was just uh-huh. a, a minor that. You know, and then I put that little melody on it, and then be able to put that vocal melody on it. That's what made it, you know. Yeah, that's part of being in a band is that there's just because one guy writes the music. I think honestly, every like all the stuff that you would contribute. If I came up with a riff and then you'd come up with a cool keyboard line, you're part of that song. You're, yeah, you know it's I mean? it's so, the collaboration yeah, that it's makes the collaboration. it 
it, uh, uh, work together to, yeah. to hit that ultimate. That's uh, why I was uh, trying uh, to give everyone credit, songwriting credit. Like, definitely. I mean, because, again, Tony's lyrical genius on that yeah. is definitely, to me, mm -hmm. like definitely a great poet, yeah. a great writer. But mm -hmm. some of his stuff can be very eclectic to where you don't. It's so out there that yeah. you don't understand it. Yeah. I still appreciate it and I like it. But when you hone it in to where it's something like this. And, you know, yeah. when you hear the uh, uh, the statues with marble eyes, yeah. you can't help but think of, like, yeah, Interview no, with yeah. a Vampire, yeah. that scene when he's, you know. Yeah. Like that's someone uh, who made a badass video. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just waking up for the first time being a vampire in yeah. the graveyard. To me, it was amazing being a part of that and watching you guys especially write that music and, yeah. and being able to produce it and being able to bring it to fruition. Did you play yeah. bass on that song or no? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right, yeah. I don't remember if we've ever played it live. I don't I think don't, we ever did either. I don't remember. We should have. <laughs> yeah, but I think it was one of those songs that was just kind of weird yeah. to pull off live. So that being said, I mean, you're a great guitar player. You have a musical sense about you, but you were kind of forced willingly into being the front person and, and singing because you couldn't see anybody else in the vision you yeah. of yeah. what you and Tony wanted. But what do you prefer overall? Would you prefer to be the guy just playing music no. in the background? Or uh, do you enjoy I mean, I, being the front yeah, man? Yeah, I enjoyed and, it. Like, like later on, I really, like, I think when I first got kind of thrown into it, and a lot of it was just because when we played the Roxy, we did the, we did the morning live or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and I remember I was like, I was still, like, you, you heard my voice on there. Yeah, it was yeah. It's still raw. It's still, still raw. you know, you were. Uh, I was hitting raw, a lot of raw, wrong notes or whatever. And then I hit this one perfect note that Tony still this day would be like, yeah, remember that one note you hit on the morning? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, never yeah, going to let I, you live it like, down. Yeah, I was like, now, so, why can't so you do that again? In. I was like, okay, if I'm going to sing, I got to hone in on that. You know, something like, don't rave me for like learning scales. Like for the rest of your life on every recording. Well, it's still not that that one note that you hit. Yeah. And then after that, didn't discover. And like I said, London Suede, uh, he really kicked me into the, in the, in the gear as far as like what it means to just belt it out. Cause I always wanted to be like Jeff Tate or somebody. You can never mm -hmm. be Jeff Tate, you know? Like I was like, yeah, yeah. And I then, always had my favorite singers, but I could never see myself singing. As well, you got to find your own voice. Yeah. And I you think find your own voice. And then that's what every musical scene is about. Yeah. Whether it's goth, punk, metal is finding your own voice yeah. within yourself to bring out those influences yeah and create magic or you know music magic and, and especially live because what happened too later on you know a lot of times you know obviously a lot of people that know me know i had a really bad addiction to alcohol and stuff like uh -huh. that and uh, a lot of times i'd be drunk on stage and my guitar chord would pop out and <laughs> yes I my guitar and that's why you know later on after you left the band and everything we'd gotten ibex in the band and and i even wanted another guitar player we got andrix in the band because uh -huh. i said I, w I just uh, live i'll play guitar on the studio do whatever rehearsal but live i just want to sing you know <laughs> yeah what did you drink because you needed an escape to play live yeah. because of a nervousness of, of being in front of people no. or was that just an excuse because there were times where you said oh i need a few drinks to be honest, in order like, to go on stage yeah. i started drinking by myself and writing songs when I met Lonnie and we were working at that chimney sweep place uh -huh. and he introduced me to the 40 ounce. And then after that is when, <laughs> the yeah, four, then, the great 40. Yeah, the 40 ounce. So, so and then I'm drinking a 40 by myself and I'm writing and I'm writing songs like, you know, like the utmost and things like that, you know, and I got addicted to the creativity. I think, okay, well, this is, this is what I needed. Cause before that, like I had no problem performing live without drinking. Like, you know, our first uh -huh. concert was in Mark Duran's, backyard party yeah i yeah. mean i was nervous as shit i was shaking the <laughs> yeah. uh, but i was still i still felt like you know i was in my head i'm performing like my heroes wasp and motley crew you know that's that's mm -hmm. back then but yeah a lot of the drinking started when when i felt like i needed that to to and especially as an artist drawing you know I'd yeah draw some pieces 
you know, I did some speed every now and then, uh, you know. Gabriel. But it's almost like a crutch that you feel you can't yeah. create unless you have yeah. something to create. So kinda... what happened was there was a number of years where I would drink a few beers before I go on stage, and maybe even more than a few beers, and, and mm-hmm. got to a point where I'd hear myself back, and, and Tony and them would always complain, like, oh, you just can't drink before you go on stage. You know, you, yeah. You're, you're, well, yeah, I would tell you that yeah, and many you times. Me, yeah, and you, <laughs> and you as well. And, and then, like, when I stopped doing that, then I felt really better. I felt I felt good and, and obviously better because – I could perform better without it. Well, let's uh, say now you've been. But sober I always use the excuse that I needed the beer to be able to cut myself. Oh yeah, that's what, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah I remember I, that because it thins it my bleed. blood out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it looks like I'm cutting myself really hard, but I'm really just doing little jabs, and and, and because my. But then I would think because you would do it right before that you went on stage, and yeah. I'd be thinking, yeah. wait a minute, if you a beer takes at least you know twenty <laughs> minutes to get through your system, at least, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to yep. make your blood thin. Uh-huh. I would all that's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, as an addict, you know, you you, you do th- cause yeah, especially. Uh, when we drink, we drink, drink to be social, and so a lot of times you do drink to. I'm going on stage, I'm to have a few, and this and that, uh-huh. and you think you're doing fine until you, like I said, until you play it back. Now, do you think Will O' Wisp would have gone in a different direction had you not had your drinking not gone out of control, mm-hmm. or probably, I or mean, do you think it still would have ultimately been in this constant? Uh, well, you know, it got fight to, between yeah. everybody. Yeah, because it got to a point where I was just, and, and I, you know, at the time I under, I didn't understand why Tony just wanted to just like not play with me anymore. You know, he just yeah. basically called me and said. You know, I can't perform it anymore. And they already had a singer set up that they were replacing me with, you know, which yeah. I thought was, I was just, you know, I was mad. I was hurt. I was, you know, cried. You know, it was like, you know, calling Tony. I felt like a stalker to always call him. Oh, are you sure you don't want to change your mind? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, nice I, girlfriend. You know, and at a time to think like, you know, what about the bands that like have, uh, that went through rehab and the band would put their tour on, on hold and so the guy can get help. And I always think like, why couldn't Tony do that for me? Why couldn't he just help me? Like, you know, get me in the rehab or something. So I had a lot of resentment at the time. And, yeah. and so until I started realizing, you know what, I put myself in that position and, and, and I, I made my own choices and it's all my fault. I mean, so the, the good news is, is how many years have you been sober now? Like eight years, eight, eight and a half, or, you know, eight, 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 December 23rd is my clean day. So okay. 2011. So yeah, okay. over well, eight years. So good news, people, don't worry. He's not drunk now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just sound <laughs> like kidding. it. <laughs> Y'all shut your drink, motherfucker, uh, I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because one of the best parts about the drinking was, as I remember this very vividly, is we had a show on Halloween night. Yeah. And they had overbooked the band's. So we are basically into our second song. We had people waiting for a couple of hours. We were supposed to go on it at like 10 o'clock, and we didn't go on until midnight. Yeah. And we end up playing the show in the shithole place in Reseda or wherever the fuck it was. They cut us off after the second song, and because you had so much time before we went on stage, you had plenty to drink. I think it was Jägermeisters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you took the mic stand and just started bashing in the monitors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then Tony jumped over the stage and started throwing the drum kit everywhere. Yeah. And it just turned into an all-out brawl. Where's that and at again? Where's that, that little club. The in Rock, Re- right, in uh, North Hollywood? Or is that the one? Was it? in? I thought it was in Reseda. Reseda. That's what yeah, I say. So you like were this, on that show. Then, yeah, so. oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was protecting yeah. my equipment because yeah. I was the only one that had, like, thousands remember, of dollars worth of equipment. I getting dragged out by my neck. The guy had me in the headlock and you just dragged me from the stage and just threw me out <laughs> and you had no but the funny part was is you had no other choice but to grab him by the balls because oh, yeah. you were just trying to get out of there yeah so the guy came back up on stage and said that, that fucking faggot grabbed me by the balls oh, that's yeah. what kind of band this is yeah. and i was like oh fuck you and then the funny part was is our fans i guess they had no idea what kind of band we were before they booked yeah us. <laughs> <laughs> well they pissed us off because they yeah. made us wait all that time yeah. and they only yeah. let us play two well, songs well, yeah just because i started cutting myself that's when they, they started sh- freaking out they, you know? they cut the sound yeah they were trying to think and, what the hell is this guy doing you know <laughs> but i think the best part was is our fans started fighting with the other band's fans 
Yeah. And there was an outlet brawl. And yeah. then one of the girls and uh, one of our girlfriends started spraying pepper spray. Yeah. And so everybody started choking on pepper spray. Tony oh, yeah. smashing <laughs> into everything. The bodyguards are like yeah. beating the shit out of us. Yeah, trying to get, And I'm just trying to protect yeah. my equipment because uh -huh. I'm like, I got like $2,000 worth of equipment, yeah. man. I don't want, uh, I can't afford to have yeah. all this stuff destroyed. Yeah, that place and, was called The Rock. Yeah, yeah. That? oh, was it? Yeah. But, uh, That's what Jägermeister will get <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Many shots of Jäger. Yeah. But that, that was a, uh, that was one of our many uh, great nights yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that. But, but even then there were, there were things that, that you were definitely innovative on with like, we had a song called fuck Jesus, fuck God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you decided to take a, a painting of Jesus. Cause in LA, oh, yeah. there's a lot of um, Mexican shops that sell these portraits of Jesus, the really mm -hmm. beautiful yeah. oil paintings of Jesus. Uh -huh. So you took that, put blood packets <laughs> on the back of it. And then yeah. during that song, you would stab out Jesus's eyes, oh, yeah, and then blood would just yeah. squirt. That's weird how I always come up with the, how to do all that stuff. I'm thinking like with the but, worm, yeah. and the pumpkin head, like. But with, you can't change the strings on your <laughs> you guitar. Know, I, I can't change the strings on my guitar. It's weird. But <laughs> hey, you know, hey, you, you got it's a give and yeah. take situation. I should do. I should make like a how-to book or make stage antics <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but that was like the greatest thing because while yeah. we were yelling "fuck Jesus, fuck God," yeah. you were stabbing Jesus's eyes out, yeah. and blood was squirting out all over the audience. I think it just happened when I, I think I remember like because we, we were doing. I think we were doing it during, uh, you know, your children shall take me as Lord. Uh huh. And uh, I think we did the breakdown, and then like you know we were gonna do the Jesus thing anyway. But I think I just somehow, in my head, said tried to get the crowd in and say fuck Jesus, fuck God. Like I, uh -huh. like it wasn't even planned out. I just remember it just kind of happening. Uh huh. And then it just became a thing after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. And it just yeah, it just kind of turned into morphed into that. Yeah. Uh, but at that point, we were into our last album as the original will-o'-wisp as mm -hmm. as you would call it yeah me you tony and uh raven mm -hmm. uh the guitar player the album was called delusions of grandeur a gathering of heretics yeah, yeah. now i can't play any of that music because unfortunately it was we were signed to a record label and they still to this day own all the rights to that so mm -hmm. if i play any of it it's copyrighted and we yeah. don't we don't own the rights to it during that time i think it became it was no longer uh, there were still some goth elements, but it was no longer that essence of what we had when it was building up and breaking down a matter. Yeah. There wasn't that slow goth. It was more of either yeah, we were gloom dreary or it had to be heavy. Yeah, because we were changing, yeah. Well, the fact that we were on a black metal label yeah. probably didn't help. Uh, you know, it, it kind of influenced like, the decision. That's how desperate we would take whatever label was assigned yeah. us. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we got paid, they so we been like a, a, It could have been a gay erasure type label and we would have signed <laughs> Yeah, but... But uh, the point is, is that obviously uh, the direction of the band kind of went away from that. Yeah. If you listen to like, uh, like I, I haven't heard it in a long time, but I was listening to some of the songs on there, like Bastard, when I, I gave that riff to, to Raven to write a song about his dad or something like that. Yeah. But you listen, it's, just still, it's got some really good gothic elements to it, you know. Oh, so the, the Bastard song was actually your music? Yeah. I always thought it was him because I thought no. he always boasted that no, he I, wrote that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave a little bit. Oh, okay. Take, yeah, pretty much <laughs> that. So, yeah, you can have all the... I wrote the main riff, basically. Yeah. The, <laughs> and like, that, that line or whatever. And then, like, it, I couldn't find nothing to do with it. It was one of those riffs I had for years. Yeah. I just couldn't find anything to do with it. And then Raven, we were just jamming one night and... He had some lyrics and he was singing with it. Just kind of worked together. Yeah, well, I said, well, you can have this. <laughs> but I do remember from that album, one of the greatest songs was Another Ice Age. Is that what it oh, was yeah, called? Oh, yeah, so yeah. So now, that one, I'm uh, really proud of that song because I wrote everything on that thing. That's what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah. So the most amazing thing and to I me on that was that we had space left for one more song. Yeah. And this was like, we were already recording. We had like two weeks of really. We had two, yeah, and you wrote <laughs> like a, basically a 10-minute fucking opus. <laughs> yeah. 
in within a couple of weeks uh-huh. had Tony put down the drums separately, yeah. but then you did the bass, you did the keyboards, yeah. you did the the guitars, yeah. all the guitars, the melodies, uh, melody, some of the vocals. Well, Tony just did the growly vocals, and then yeah. like, I did all the like you know the more gothic and yeah, yeah, which is like, it was always like it's kind of a back and forth of all of our songs. They always do that anyway, but <laughs> but just to me to have that song and, and it, it the yeah. way it is is it's more of like an epic journey. Yeah, to have that put together out. in such a short amount yeah. of time because i'd never heard you play it before it yeah. wasn't anything that yeah. we had practiced never practiced or anything. And, and, and you just kind of threw that together yeah. and yeah, to me it was I, very amazing that's one of my proud songs because like I, I i could hear it and i could think of the ice age like you know especially tony's lyrics is that's another one of tony's lyrics where it takes you you can actually visualize what, yeah. what you're singing and stuff we're past this situation you're you're in your your elder years uh, yeah. what a lot of people probably don't know who know that you're a great musician uh, is that you're a great artist too? You you do draw mm-hmm. a lot. You've always drawn since yeah. we were uh, kids. Yeah. Uh, Although lately I haven't drawn in a while, but <laughs> but still, yeah, I mean, yeah. you have you've put out comic books. Yeah. Uh, what was the the comic book that you until put until we sleep? Me and some guys did a little self kind of put together a little publishing company. That was one of my goals. See, when I got sober, it was like you know, I'm in and I'm in recovery in the outpatient place, and they tell you to write your five five year goal or whatever. Mm-hmm. So my goals was to have my girlfriend moved up from Canada. Uh, eventually she did in 2015 and then my other goal was to put out a comic book you know self-publish it somehow uh-huh. and i did that with those guys and so yeah so i've I kind just of cool one of those accomplishments yeah, yeah, that like you had felt- so that's one of the things obviously from getting sober and kind of getting your life together yeah is you can kind of reflect on the things that you've done in the past yeah. regrets that you made or mm-hmm. mistakes that you made and try to make them yeah. right even now you're still working on new music. Yeah. You're working on, you have a podcast yourself. What is that podcast? The Eric called? D former podcast show. Okay. But yeah, so you have your own podcast now. Yeah. Nine episodes, 9.1 episodes. In. <laughs> which is really cool. So anybody out there, definitely check out the, mm-hmm. the Eric D Fulmer podcast. Yeah. I'll be doing episode 10 in the next couple of weeks. Now that you're sober, you've been sober for a while now. You're actually um, yeah. a drug and alcohol counselor because yeah. The, uh, yeah. Yeah, I got that seems that. like the next best thing to do yeah, to help yeah. people out. <laughs> yeah. Part of your recovery would be like you give them back. And I felt like I started getting into that. Like I had friends that were struggling. I would give them some advice. And someone said, oh, maybe that's your calling, you know. And I think I remember asked, I think I told you about it, uh, that I was thinking about to start my own thing or whatever. And you yeah. said, well, maybe you should go to school about it because you don't want to do it without being licensed or being yeah. certified because then you could say something wrong. And I just wanted an excuse to fire you from <laughs> yeah, my company. Yeah, yeah. So and it worked <laughs> out that we're like, you know, he'd say, hey, why well, don't just lay you off and then you could collect unemployment. Yeah, at that time, I was getting my garnished, pay, yeah. uh, my wages garnished, which... So, so obviously now in your, uh, as I've been called, and I think they'd probably call you this too, is an elder goth. I think the yeah. term is that they use yeah. for me. I'm so in elder. our elder goth. Hey, miss, is that what I am? Cool. Sessions. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it's a kind of a cool term. I still call myself a metalhead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> metal goth. Head, I don't know. Elder goth, yeah. elder metal. I don't yeah. know what the hell, but now with you being a drug and alcohol counselor an artist and you're actually writing, you've always been writing music, yeah, but always. now you're working on a new album. Yeah. Like you're, I have this one. I've been sending the works forever. A lot of it's just being held back just from a uh, logistics and this, the, the technology to be able to record it. You know, okay. I've been using like, you know, some minor software here and there, but yeah. I'll play a, a song from that. And the a, album a will be snippet. called blood music. And the reason why I call it blood music is because music will always be my blood. And the music that comes out now is just, it's just part of my blood. Like yeah, the, it's just, when people say like, Oh, are you still playing? It's like, yeah, I'm probably going to be playing until I die. You know, because it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's in my blood. Part of you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's part of me. It's so. who you are. Yeah. And so this is called, I, I really like this song. It's called, I will find you. Yeah. And this to me is more of like a, a yeah. cool beat with a goth yeah, influence. It's, it's definitely dark. It's definitely influenced by London suede. I always like, oh, I gotta have a London suede sounding song. You know, and 
their last album that they just put out was very inspiring to me and uh, this kind of came out of that you know okay definitely got like a really yeah. cool uh, and the lyrics like i'm not a lyricist it was where it just kind of came to me i was like well this is kind of like about a stalker who's stalking maybe stalking a chick or something uh-huh. ends up killing her and like i never met you which either. is weird because it sounds more like a love like a, yeah, it's a like dark a, love it's song. a dark love which is another inspiration of, of mine is lizzie borden and a lot of his songs are the, a lot of the content is about like you know like i love you to pieces and even yeah. on his last album he just put out like he has songs like obsession and and so that was kind of a little bit inspired in there. To okay, Lizzie I can Bort, hear it. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a, a cool song. Yeah. And then another one you work on is more of in the spirit, I would say, of Willow Wisp. Yeah, because uh, and I kind of think like this is, you asked me that question earlier, what would Willow Wisp be like if I was sober and I stayed uh-huh. in the band? This is probably, if I had my way, this is the direction we would have been going. And we probably be signed to like Relapse Records or somewhere. You know? Yeah, like, it would be. Because uh, uh, there's a lot of good record labels out right now. Like, uh, I wish they would find the cool bands though, because I don't really hear any cool <laughs> no, bands. But, I hear a lot you know. of good stuff. I, you know, but then again, yeah, it's hard for me. I yeah. I think when you get to a certain age, yeah, you kind of turn off I was the like new a, music. Well, I was like button. that for a while but until I started. When you go on YouTube and just find something with a cool name and a cool album cover and just click on it. Okay, that's how I've been. That's how I've been discovering a lot of new music, and that's how Mirror Like she's yeah. one, one of my big influences now. Like uh, I love that that the music she does, and she came. She got. When I relate to her, the, in relation to her, is like, you know, when we got all that crap from all the black metal crowd, uh-huh. death threats, stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> she got the same thing because she was a, in a pop band before. Uh-huh. She just, and she's always loved black metal. She was a King Diamond fanatic. She's from the same place that King Diamond's from. And so she does, she put her hand in the black metal world. And then she got tons of death metal or death threats and all kinds of. Why are those people so open minded but so closed minded yeah, at the like same time? Those purists, man. It's like, just fuck a weird you, fucking purist. Weird man. fucking thing. <laughs> so this is uh, Apostles Creed. Yeah, That's lyrics like, by Paul Merrill, which is my oh, okay. brother from another mother, which is, you know, like we're from Back the in same, the day, yeah. yeah, yeah and we're still, we're still to this day. Uh, really great, great best of friends, you know. Did and you go to high school? Did he yeah, go to high that's school? That's how we met. Okay, we, yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna he was say. Like, he was the what we thought was the angry little girl from Thailand, but uh, we find out it's a guy, and then he takes <laughs> us to his house, and he's got this massive record collection, and that's what turned us on to like you know. Black yeah, I always Black. thought he came after high school no, uh, for some he, reason he, because he, I didn't meet my, him until after. Yeah, until after I uh, come back to. It was uh, my senior years when we met him, and uh, he took us to his house, and okay. That's when me and Tony, because me the heaviest thing that me and Tony had heard at that time was Slayer, Hella Weights, and we thought that was evil. Yeah, we go meet this little Paul guy, man, and, he, and he's playing Celtic Frost and Bathory, and all these bands are just like totally evil as fuck. Uh-huh. It was like holy, and it was just like holy, that's yeah. a, a whole new door. <laughs> you know, we're all trading up. each other's records, and you know, <laughs> like <laughs> meet, baseball cards yeah, and meet shit. Jude and Paul. All right, so let's hear this.
Yeah, it's like melodic metal. It's like it got some Cradle of Filth, a little bit influence. Like I'm a big Cradle of Filth fan. Uh, you know. Now, in the later years, you started to develop more of like a black metal growling vocal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas Tony had always done the, yeah, yeah. the growling vocals. It was hard for me at first because I didn't know like how to do it really well until I started doing it live and then uh -huh. I got better at it. But was there a preference like as far as him versus you because that now that you could control it, yeah. you can kind of control the well, melody more? Or, or? I always feel there's two different types of black metal or death metal vocal. There's death metal, there's black metal, and then I guess there's a bunch of different names. You know, they all come with yeah, subgenres, whatever. So Tony would always do the really low type, like Cannibal Corpse style. Uh -huh. And I can never do that really low stuff for some reason. I could, so I always did the really high stuff. Like what you heard in yeah. that, which is more like what Danny Filth does, you know, like, uh, and Danny Filth does everything. Like he could do all those different voices, whatever, but I, but I tend to target more into that higher black metal voice. I, cause me, my most important voice is my clean voice, you know? And, and I feel, and I've always felt like, cause Tony would be like, no, I want you to be able to sing the low too. That was his, his excuse for getting that new singer because he could sing that style or whatever. Yeah. Cause he was quote, Tired of singing and playing drums at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so, Bullshit. I mean, you know, he yeah, loved playing. Uh, he yeah, loved the attention, doing it, man. Doing it now, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but that was like, and I said, like, dude, I, I mean, I'm doing all these different voices. As it is. I don't want to screw up my voice. You know, like, I, yeah, I like, because I like it's a strain if you're not, yeah, if you're like not my, fluent in that type of yeah. singing. Yeah, I, I'm a, I take my voice serious. Like, I'm not a, a, a black metal singer or a death metal singer who's not going to, you know, I mean, I got to sing clean vocals. And it's, I'm trying to achieve better vocals. As I, you know, I'm trying to progress. In other yeah. words, like, and that's it that's, took me years to try to sing on key, and now I could sing on key. I got to now I got to find <laughs> a, another way to progress. <laughs> but that's that's actually a good thing to hear that after all these years, how yeah. long has it been? Yeah, 30, 40 years since you've been doing this. Yeah. you know, since you started, what like fifteen years old? Yeah, that you're still finding a way to progress. Yeah. And, be something more and strive towards something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which just, to me is amazing. And a lot of it's just to have fun with it. Cause like, you know, I'm not looking to be the rock star anymore. Like, you know, like I think we're all rock stars no matter what it, but mm -hmm. anybody can be a rock star. You can feel like a rock star, but the, the, the tricky part is convincing the rest of the world that you're a rock yeah. star. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think when you're younger, you kind of, uh, yeah. you see everybody else and you yeah. kind of want to be ideas. famous. I'm going to, I'm going to get yeah. whatever's in my system out. I'm, and then with today's social media and ways of getting stuff out, Put it out there, and if people like it, people like it. If they don't, yeah. then. Uh, in case anyone was wondering as well, too, uh, Eric is also the one that helped me write the music for the intro song to the Gothic oh, yeah. Side of Life. Yeah, I bet you forgot about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you right. must have been drunk, motherfucker. Yeah, must have been drunk. <laughs> I don't remember how it goes. <laughs> I could hear it, but I don't remember how I played it. <laughs> what? You don't know how it goes, man. I know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. That was very Christian death inspired too. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's <laughs> that uh, baseline. That <laughs> that's kind of what we were going for. Yeah. yeah. With the drum beat and yeah. stuff like that, so that's the thing about music, man. You just pull from all your influences. It doesn't mean you're copying them or ripping them off. You're just pulling that stuff out, just like and and, and you're making it your own. And, and uh, cause that's all you can do with music. I mean, you could, like I said, you could be crazy and try to get all bunch of weird distant stuff, but then you're not going to attract any. Like you're not going to. Uh, it's not going to be catchy. I, I just got to have catchy music. You know? Yeah. Whether yeah. it's dark or whether it's intricate, I got to hear something that's catchy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want it to stick in my head. I don't want it to like disappear. You know. Well, I definitely off. encourage anybody listening if you have a chance to yeah. check out his new music, look him up. But what's what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, Facebook. Man. Facebook. Okay. So I'm just pretty much live on there. <laughs> Eric D. Fulmer. Yeah. Go to the Eric D. Fulmer, uh, the official Eric D. Fulmer podcast show. You go, that's my page. Well, I hope uh, people enjoyed it today and I think you pretty much said it all. Yeah. Well, definitely it's been a pleasure having you here on the Gothic Side of Life. Email us. Let us know what you think.